Hey there, thanks for tuning into the Flip the Script podcast. I wanted to take a quick moment to express my gratitude for your continued support. As a listener, you play a crucial role in the success of this podcast. And there's so many ways you can help out and I'd love to share a few with you. For starters, you can support the podcast with a monthly donation as low as 99 cents at flipthescriptpodcast.com. Every little bit counts. And if you want to show your love even more, don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platform. I read every review and really appreciate those who've left reviews already. And last but not least, be sure to check out the affiliate links in the show notes. There is a small kickback that is received from any purchases that you might make. And of course, follow flipthescript.pod on Instagram. It's also a great way to stay up to date on the latest episodes and behind the scenes content. Thank you again for being a part of the Flip the Script community. I couldn't do it without you. Are you tired of spending hours sharing and sending offers to likers? Introducing Posher VA, the web program that will save you time and increase your sales. With Posher VA, you can automatically share your closet, send offers to likers, and schedule your share times all with just a few clicks. Using code ELDUCHO, you can try Posher VA for two weeks for free, no credit card required. Posher VA is not just another program, it is your program. Say goodbye to manual sharing and hello to even more time in your business. Try Posher VA today using code ELDUCHO, E-L-D-U-C-H-O. Welcome to the Flip the Script podcast. I'm your host, Denali, and I'm a full-time reseller on eBay and Poshmark. My store and closet name is Elducho, E-L-D-U-C-H-O. You can also find me on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube as Elducho Thrift. I'm very excited about this week's guest. I had the opportunity to interview a reseller I've actually only interacted with online, and her name is Michelle. You can find Michelle on Instagram under the username Mish Market, and all of that information will be in the show notes of this episode for you. Michelle has been casually reselling for many years, but she finally decided to take the leap in 2019 to become a full-time reseller. However, after reselling full-time for four years, she accepted a full-time job Uh, with a marketing company and has scaled her business back. Michelle shares her thought process for that decision and how she's having to relearn to resell part-time while also working her full-time job. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for being on the podcast with me. Hi, Denali. So nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. So nice to meet you. Okay. So full disclosure, Michelle and I were just gushing to each other literally two seconds before I hit the record button. And I said, save it for the podcast, Michelle, save it for the recording. (laughs) This is our first time talking, meeting, which seems funny. I don't know why that seems funny. It's like where you're in a community with people for so long, you feel like you know them or have met them in some way. Yeah. And so it's odd to be like, no, really, this is the first time we're really talking. (laughs) But I'm happy it finally happened. Yeah, I'm so glad. It's always so bizarre, just especially when you like follow someone and you know them by their like their username. 
Yes. (laughs) Right. And then you meet them in person and you're like, oh, you're like at whatever. And you just like referencing everyone by their Instagram (laughs) handle. I know. It's like, oh yeah, you, you also have like a legal name. I guess I could call you that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm so glad to have you here. I, you know, it's always so fun when I have people that I've interacted with on Instagram or wherever social media for so long, because then I finally get to ask them all the questions that I wanted to. And so I guess with that said, my first question for you, Michelle, is how and when did you first start reselling or what brought you to reselling? You know, I was, I knew this was the question that was coming up and trying to formulate a (laughs) response in my head is like, like, how did I get here? Um, (laughs) Well, I, you know, I mean, when I was younger, I was always really interested in fashion and shopping and, you know, I've always been a deal hunter. Like when I was a kid, my mom, I used to work in retail and, and even before that, when Christmas would come around, she would give me the Christmas list to shop for like my whole family, because I was the one who liked to go find the things like the best thing for each person. So I think about that a lot too, because I think in part, what has brought me to reselling is just this like lifelong love of um, not gifting, but, you know, finding the right thing for the right person. And when I was in high school, I resold, I found the Vinted app. I can't, I can't actually remember what year that was. I don't know. That was maybe like 2009 or 2000. Oh, wow. 10, 11, I don't know, something wow. like that when Vinted first came out and mm-hmm. I was selling on there. And then eventually I found Poshmark. So I had been reselling kind of casually for a while and I went to community college and I met my boyfriend and we were living together and I worked full time in, um, in New York city at an art gallery. And this is like, I don't know, 2017 at this point. And I was there for a couple of years. And then, you know, a few years later, I just found myself like wanting a change of pace, wanting to do something else. And he was like, well, you know, you've been reselling all these things. Like, why don't you just do that? Full- like, why can't you just make that your job? And <laughs> I thought he was nuts. And <laughs> I was like, that's crazy. Like, I, I don't even know the first thing about business or like, but I do know how to find the right things that are going to be worth more. Like, you know, when you compliment someone's outfit and you're like, thanks, right. I got this for like $2. I've always been that person mm-hmm. uh, to find things for super cheap and be like, yeah, I found this for whatever. And so I guess, I don't know, it just, it, it was scary at first and then it naturally kind of came to be. And yeah, I, I, I left my job uh, to start reselling full time. And initially it was going to be this thing that was going to be, you know, like a kind of a part-time holdover until I could figure out my next move. I was at the time, like I already knew some graphic design principles. I was like, okay, I'm going to learn to code. And while I learn to code and I get my portfolio bill, I'll resell in the background. And as soon as I went full-time, or at least once I made the decision to go full-time, everything else really fell away for me. And I just focused so single-mindedly on reselling that it just became this like this whole thing this just it took on a mind of its own and um and I I really just like ran with it so that's how I ended up being a reseller (laughs) full-time for like four years (laughs) yeah yeah that was 2019 when I had left when I left my job and Obviously, I'd been reselling a little bit beforehand, and I made the choice like a year before. So, so yeah, that's that's kind of how I how I got here. It's been kind of crazy. 
yeah that's yeah like a, no that, that feels that's like a journey <laughs> a yeah. in, in going in going back and thinking, you know, you mentioned that when you were younger, you would, you would help your mom with the gift shopping. I'm, I'm curious if at any point, just because now, obviously you're a secondhand shopper, did you do any secondhand gift shopping back then? So no, a lot of it was like, it wasn't like gift. uh, No, it wasn't like thrift stores. It was more like, like at like Kohl's or like, Like I just, I had a general budget and I had to figure out the best way of getting everyone on the list a gift with the budget. Just, (laughs) I pieced together a gift list. (laughs) A love of shopping. shopping. You know, you mentioned in 2009 is when you started selling or discovered Vinted. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I can't remember what the year was. I was just in high school. I mean, I started, I started high school in 2009. So I'm like, at some point that's when I found the app and I started selling. Vinted is like what uh, I've never sold yeah. on there or I'm not familiar with it. Yeah. So it's, it's like Poshmark, but things were selling for like, I was mostly selling things out of my, cl- I had so much clothes um, and so <laughs> many things. So I was just selling things out of my closet and it was just like Poshmark in that you snap some photos, you take a list, you make a, create a listing with a little description and then someone buys it and that's it. You, you get a label, you ship it off. It's, it was exactly the same, but the, the things that were selling on there, I mean, I was selling like forever, a bundle of forever 21 tank tops, you know, for like five bucks. Like it wasn't, it was not, you know, this elaborate kind of highly profitable business. It was just like Mm -hmm. an easy way of buying and selling things and getting rid of stuff that I had extra and and maybe finding a couple things that I liked that I couldn't find at like a store, like Nasty Gal. I think this is like opening memories <laughs> at the time. <laughs> Nasty Gal uh, didn't have any stores, but that was like a brand online that I was really interested in. And this is before I knew anything about fast fashion or like, you know, anything like that. So I was just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to like buy some secondhand nasty gal. Like that was kind of like the, you know, the style mi- mindset. I was like, I can get a good deal on this because online it's priced much higher. And like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I guess my question was going to be, which you answered is what sort of clothing were you selling on there? So it sounds, I mean, you said bundles of forever 21 or nasty gal. So modern clothing. And I know that you're a lover of vintage. So where does vin- where did vintage come in in your journey because I have to imagine it started before you became a full-time reseller. In in terms of vintage specifically like I I remember there was like a little antique store across the street from my elementary school that I used to like pop into every now and again but like mm-hmm. like really really collecting vintage and like being interested in it I think it just kind of came as like when I was in high school and I started thrifting and like eventually in college when I really did it like much more heavily. I mean, I was only in community college, but at the time it was just like such a big way for me to find clothes. And the, I think what happened when I was reselling full time was that I was interested in vintage personally, like in my own, Mm -hmm. for my own wardrobe, for my own life. It just became that the modern stuff, like I knew I could find something and I could find, you know, I don't know, like a, let's say spell. I yeah. have never found a spell dress, but let's use that as an example. Um, sure. Let's say I could sell that online for some wild amount of money. 
it just became a little bit, I don't know, the, the rhythm of, of finding a modern item to resell was just, not that it was boring, but it was just, le- it became less interesting once I had a process in place. So I was like, yeah, okay, I just need to find something that sells for high and list it. And then I send it off. And the vintage was something I was much more personally interested in. And so, and learning about vintage and sort of the history of it and how clothing is constructed and, and, you know, like special kinds of buttons and different designers and the history of their labels and all of that. It just was something I gravitated towards. And I was like, well, I'm selling this modern stuff. I can start to incorporate some vintage stuff and also maybe find some things for myself and get rid of some of the vintage stuff I have in my closet. And, you know, that's kind of how that happened. Also within the community, there are a lot of vintage sellers who also sell modern things. I can, I can think of so many people who just kind of do both, but then there's an entire community of just vintage sellers. So that's, it's, it's different from the reselling community in that people who just sell vintage aren't necessarily just selling on Poshmark and eBay and Depop and all of these online platforms that we know so well, a lot of them are just doing in-person markets and Mm -hmm. creating more of an experience and a brand around their, around the things that they find, which with my interest in sort of like marketing and social media. And when I was on Instagram, like that became a more attractive, interesting thing to do than just sticking to the online resale of modern clothing. But yeah, it's also, I, I mean, something that I found personally is I just feel like it's a little bit harder because there is, with vintage, it's just, a, I'm, I might be going off here, but with no, vintage, it's, okay. it's just, there's, there's a limited amount, like everything that has ever been made, like that's it. There's no more of it. There's right. not going anywhere. You, you know, like you can't have more vintage. It's just like you're competing for these limited resources and and in the vintage community, when they when they find a good like a state sale and you know there's like a t-shirt seller, like let's say it's an estate sale of just t-shirts, like you're gonna be actually fighting with people to get inside that house to get the best the best of the best, right? Like right. so it's it's different than reselling some of the modern items which you can maybe find online for a good deal and because it's just a limited resource. And also their avenues for selling are very different. Well, not by much, but they are different. So there's that. Going to what you said uh, just a second ago about it being a limited resource. I mean, I I have like 80 Mm -hmm. questions swirling in my head, but this is the one I want to ask in this moment. And I probably could answer it. I think I could answer it myself, but I'm just curious. Right. It is a limited resource because, right, I mean, it's dependent on the time that it was manufactured and everything. I mean, I think the obvious answer here is that aren't things always becoming vintage, right? As time passes. So in some ways, yes, things it, like it, they are a limited resource of that period in time, but then, but then there, but then there's always new things becoming old. Is that a weird concept yeah. to think of? I'm just thinking that out loud to um, myself a right little now. bit, but so something that there's this other kind of like, there's like two kinds of people in the vintage world. There's like people who are like Y2K is, mm-hmm. is vintage, right? Cause it's 20 years old or older is vintage. So in there's, there's a, you know, a, a group of people who are like really into nineties, Y2K and that vintage for them is desirable, ideal. It's trendy. Um, most of the people who are buying that stuff are like Gen Z young kinds of, that's the generation that's interested in that and buying it. 
but mm-hmm. there's an entire an entire other group of people who think that that's like not even vintage even though it's <laughs> technically vintage it's not really true vintage and mm. they like look down on it the much they Got think it. like the much more desirable eras are you know 80s and earlier and then there's another niche who only buy like 60s and earlier it's it gets to be very very niche and so specific and like a little bit you know nose in the air but like <laughs> it's just it's just niche niche interest right like technically yes eventually you can think about like there's going to be a time where like american eagle is vintage and <laughs> that well i you know what i'm what's funny about that is like there is vintage american eagle because that right. started uh a bunch of years ago so that was a bad example but like i don't know like there's no there's i think you're be right though. modern brands that you think of that are going to be vintage and you know like our kids 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 are going to be looking back at this clothing and uh and like, wow, my like great, great, great grandma wore that. And it's <laughs> going to be seen as, as vintage, but, but the way that clothing was made and manufactured prior to, I guess you could say 1960 and before was very different than, you know, mid-century, which is like 50s, 60s, 70s through like 80s and 90s is very different. Like every era really has, they have different markers that that give them I mean not just the style but the way that the clothing was made was all very different which is why people are interested in that particular era perhaps aside from the style because it just it was just made differently and people don't make it like they used to anymore (laughs) right so on that note I mean you know maybe I'm sidetracking here too much but I feel like this is a great or interesting conversation is that you know the way that they make clothes like you just said is is completely different there's so much more fast I mean there is fast fashion which has emerged in the past I don't even know right in my mind I would say it's the past what 20 30 years sure yeah in 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 thinking about the future 10 20 years from now and then looking back on clothing that was produced in the 2000s and 2010 in theory there should be a lot of it, right? Because it was mass produced, but in the same breath, do you think there's a possibility there could be less of it because of the construction of garments and cheaper fabrics that were used as opposed to garments? If we look back at at, at decades like the 1940s, you know, where perhaps better Mm. techniques, better fabrics. I mean, do you, what do you think about that? Do you have a thought about that? (laughs) I mean, I don't know that I've ever thought about it deeply because uh, I think that like, and on one hand, people are much quicker to throw away the clothing. Like, right. I mean, I'm sure you've seen like people literally throwing away bags of yes. clothes and it's, I mean, just like with, with clothing before, like it used to, I guess people have always thrown things away, but we're doing it at a, at a much different scale now. I guess it's possible that we'll have people passing down their fast fashion garments, but I actually think that that's not, I don't know that that's likely. Like I don't see my mom holding on to any of her modern clothes to save for me, which I would be saving for my kid. you know, like that's yeah. how this, a lot of this vintage gets saved is because it's been passed down or 
stored. So we might have an excess of it, but I don't know if it'll be in particularly good condition or if it'll be salvageable. Um, I don't know. Like the way that people talk about and think about fast fashion and just fashion in general right now, like there are some people who it's top of mind, it's super relevant, and it's definitely like a trendy topic, but there's still so many people who buy the clothes that you would consider fast fashion, like H&M and Shein. I mean, that's why these businesses are still in business because so many people are still buying from them and supporting them. But I don't know. I think the, I think like the way that we consume might be changing. It's hard to get a gauge because I feel like I'm like inside, I'm like inside the the thing. So it's hard to, to get like an outside perspective on something I'm so closely connected to. No, I get what you're saying about, right. You, you know, if we think about our family members and maybe what they've saved and passed down and then thinking about now and what would we, you and I think to save or pass down, it's probably not going to be nasty gal. It's not going to be Shein items or even though I I'm sure we've all had those pieces in our closet where it's like, Oh my gosh, I bought this at target 15 years ago. And I can't believe it still held up. It's kind of surprising, right? But most of those pieces break down after sometimes a short amount of time. I guess, you know, if anything in my head, I'm thinking what would be the pieces that would be saved or possibly passed down? And in some ways, you know, I'm thinking, is it only designer at this point? I guess it it depends on the person because it really all has to do with mindset, right? Like mm-hmm. if somebody is buying, if if you have enough money to like buy, I don't know, Gucci. Uh, mm-hmm. like Gucci everything you have all the brand new brands you're you're on shop up buying everything brand new like maybe to you clothing is disposable like uh, possibly or maybe you really value it and you want to keep all these things like forever I don't know but if you think of a, an item as disposable it will be treated as disposable because you can buy another one you don't have to save it for anything special I think that when if you if you're thinking of clothing regardless of the brand as something that's valuable that's worth you know mending and holding on to and fixing and you know sharing with others then regardless of the brand you'll probably take better care of it that's kind of i think it just has to it starts with the individual i wish i had a maybe a more thoughtful response but i mean, I, I do think that in some ways it's like it's it's more of a mentality of how easy or difficult it is to replace or buy new or buy you. I mean, everyone's shopping habits are different, but I think that we're consuming at a much faster, higher pace now, which is partly why we have so much. Yeah. I, I, I think that there's probably, it's hard to say. I mean, I feel like we would need somebody who studies fashion professionally <laughs> and maybe the, you know, um, to really tell us, you know, what, what will have value in the future, what textiles or in this time that we're living in where new items, you know, you can go on the Shein's website and there's 400 new items put on the website every day, right? It's hard to say what will stick around, what will have value in the future. I guess I was, I was curious for your point of view on that, you know, going back to the vintage and you know, when I asked you about, you know, at some point, everything, right, is just going to be vintage. And you mentioned that there are sellers 
Oh, that's a great question. So I dock antiques through 90s, but what I, I mean, I do a lot of like era mixing in my own wardrobe. I wear a lot of like 80s, 90s stuff, but at the same time, I also really like, you know, 50s and 60s stuff. So like old, old denim, it, I love. I'm really into a good a good cardigan. I'm like, <laughs> like old knitwear. And the graphic tees of all eras are interesting to me. So for Lee and Lowe, which is my shop name, uh, the vintage shop name, I'm really curating a collection. So like there are certain color, not, I don't want to even say that there are certain colors I steer away from, but they're just generally, I, I don't, I'm buying for an aesthetic. I'm trying to buy because I'm curating this collection of things that I enjoy and that I think my, you know, people who shop with me will enjoy. So I'm buying throughout, you know, the typically it's like 40s through 90s. Finding anything earlier than the 40s is difficult to begin with, but it's also, it can become less wearable because a lot of that stuff can be fragile. But I have some like antique and Edwardian cotton dresses that are like, you would have worn them as like a nightgown or like a, a slip underneath a much more elaborate dress that, you know, is if you were to put it next to something like a Christy Dawn white bohemian dress, it might mm-hmm. look like something that was made today. That's where a lot of more modern brands, especially like minimalist brands, get their inspiration from just years past. So that's something that I find kind of interesting is I'm buying things that are old, but I also want them to be wearable. And I, you know, that's kind of just it. I, a lot of it, I'm going with my gut, but in terms of a preference for decades, I'd probably say like 40s, 50s to the 90s. I tend to stick away, steer away from like Y2K styles just because they're just a little bit too close to home. <laughs> just <laughs> slightly. <laughs> I, just I get it. <laughs> quite, I just can't get there, you know? <laughs> But I understand everyone is really into it. I just, it's not, I'm not there yet. Like, I get it. I I mean, I look at it and I'm like, (laughs) I see my, it was, you know, my late teens, early twenties. And I (laughs) just like, okay, here we are. (laughs) Again, I I get it. You want that five inch rise on your jeans. You want them to be super, super low, but I, they didn't fit me then and they don't fit me now. (laughs) Like, yeah <laughs> no that one I, yeah the low 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 rise jeans and gosh I remember those so well during that time period those can stay back there I literally I, <laughs> I'll take everything else well that that and the uh over plucked eyebrows those can stay oh. in the past yeah that those that's too much for me it took me listen it took me 20 years to grow my eyebrows back in I can't I can't go through it again so <laughs> you did it once you gave it your right. best shot and you've moved it's, on. It's I crossed it off on my checklist in life. So, <laughs> you know, when you're going into a thrift store, Michelle, I'm curious, you know, where do you go first knowing I'm going to, I'm going to get some great things like this. These are the for sure things I'm going to be able to get today. Yeah. I guess when I go into the thrift store, I'm mostly like, I go to dresses almost always first. And depending on the store, I'll do shoes. 
like, I think it's, yeah, you know what? I think it depends on the store because like some Goodwills will have shoes on top of, I guess a lot, most Goodwills will have shoes on top of the rack, which Mm -hmm. would require you to like go up and down every aisle to look at all the shoes. And being someone who's a little bit more petite, I can't always see up there. I don't want to always reach (laughs) over there. Like I have to go up and down every single aisle. The dresses are always compact and they're always like a little messy and it kind of mm-hmm. scares people <laughs> to like <laughs> dig through this one big wall of dresses. I feel like that's always a good go-to, but there's almost always like sets and jumpsuits and stuff mixed in, which is like a favorite for me. I like doing like sets and suiting and things like that. So that would be like the first stop. And then maybe second would be like the home goods section just because. I love a good ceramic dish, but that's just like for me in my personal life. I don't really sell very many home goods. I just like going through them. Yeah. And and thinking about, you know, you mentioned two brands in this conversation, Spell and Christy Dawn. And now if I was going into a thrift store, certainly those would be brands I would be chanting in my head as I'm going through the racks thinking, let me just conjure one of those up. Like <laughs> as I go through this rack, let me imagine that if I keep saying those brands in my head, they'll appear. For you, what would be that what would be that vintage item? What would you be chanting in your head like, come on, let's I I really would like this would make my month if I found this. Oh, I think okay, well I think for like the thrift store, any designer item, just like any designer, vintage mm-hmm. designer item is like that's I would love to find because they're they're hard to find in the thrift store but like especially when I go to like I, I do a lot of estate sales now or like I'll do um I'll look at antique malls and I'm always in search of a good vintage graphic tee like always hunting and when I can find like a good well-worn vintage tee I'm like I feel like I won the lottery and they don't, (laughs) they, they don't always go for that much, but when you find something that like has been worn so many times, it's like butter soft cotton and polyester, like just that it's just the best. It's just the best. And I have quite the collection of my own amount of vintage tees in my own closet. So it's just, it feels like a really good win when I can find Mm -hmm. them just in the wild anywhere. So it's not really a brand, but just that kind of specific thing is, it just, it's such a good feeling. I'm just like, yeah. Yeah. I get it. Like, so thank you the vintage <laughs> gods. They have just looked down <laughs> upon me on this day. <laughs> and they've blessed you. Yeah. You know, to someone, yeah. to someone listening, who's hearing vintage teas and, you know, maybe isn't familiar with vintage clothing at all, but could have access to vintage tees. What should they be looking for? Like what is, what's desirable? What makes a vintage tee good or what makes a vintage tee a pass? Yeah. I mean, so like what's, I think it's kind of interesting is that like some of the best tees are really very, uh, like they, they might be not interesting to to someone else, but they're interesting to you. Like, for example, I have a, I bought a a t-shirt on, I guess it was Clubhouse back when Mm -hmm. Clubhouse was a thing. 
and it's like a it says hell or high water it's a graduation tea from 1976 um it was this woman's husband's t-shirt um from like his high school graduation and it just has like a kind of a cool graphic and the words on there I'm like hell or high water that's like I don't know that's kind of sick um (laughs) (laughs) and it's not single stitch it's more of like a raglan sleeve um Mm -hmm. and just that by itself like I thought the graphic was cool and the text on it was like yeah like you could see Urban Outfitters remaking this for Mm -hmm. example that's kind of a good that could be you know what that might be sign number one like this looks like something that they would sell at Urban Outfitters I would also say that like a lot of the t-shirts that people go after I mean, one of the like one of the good telltale signs is that it's single stitch, but modern T-shirts sometimes have a single stitch sleeve and some of the best vintage tees aren't single stitch. Like they have a double stitch sleeve and they might be from the 80s or 90s, but it could be from like a Bruce Springsteen concert or something like that. And it's still it's still highly valuable. So I would definitely advise everyone, anyone listening who's interested in selling tees or understanding more about vintage graphic tees to look at the defunct website, get a good idea about labels and tags and tag histories and utilize like the Google lens to just kind of like take a snapshot on whether it's the tag or the graphic itself. There there are times I found t-shirts that are, maybe it has like the 80s, 90s screen star tag, but it's a modern graphic. Like it was, perhaps they ordered, you know, a bunch of blanks or there was a, it was just a blank t-shirt and then someone screen printed it like five or 10 years later. Um, so that's kind of, you know, t-shirts or t-shirts. Like a lot of the time it's just people who are, who had a bunch of, like if you go to a printing shop, they've got a bunch of blank shirts in the back and <laughs> they're printing them for, you know, a big corporate event or something like mm-hmm. imagine t-shirts of the past, like they're, they might have been used for a concert or for like some kind of a group, a family event. Vintage Disney is always kind of a cool thing to find. I feel like there's like a, a niche of people who are just interested in that, mm-hmm. um, like NASCAR tees, motorcycle tees. But I don't know. I It's hard for me to know what's common knowledge and not common knowledge now. <laughs> I just feel like some of this has been like, you know, it's just info that's been in my head for a bit. So like, I don't know. I don't know how much to overexplain that, but um, but yeah, definitely utilize Google Lens, Google Lens, and uh, the defunct. It's D E F U N K D. It's like an okay. old blog, just a great resource on vintage, especially tees. So yeah. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for indulging me in that, and I'm sure, like you said, you know, not knowing the knowledge of of you know what people know, I, I'm sure you could probably give a Ted talk on t-shirts, but <laughs> um, it's funny because I do think that like, it's so specific and it's, it's like, I don't know. It's just, there are also people who go really hard for the tees. Like I will not compete with you. If you want to, like, there are people who, who, if they see t-shirts at an estate sale, I call them the bins boys. Cause there's always like, yeah. you know, like that 20 year old, dude and his bro his team of bros who are at the mm-hmm. bins ready to like elbow you mm-hmm. for like a holy graphic tee but like if you want to show up to the estate sale at 2 a.m and like park out all night and like have a pack of hot dogs going in the car for your like morning snack I mean, have at it <laughs> I'm gonna roll in 
at the time that I would like to go there. And if I miss the t-shirts, that's fine. If I get them, that's great. But like, I'm not going to fight you over them. There are people who definitely know more about it than me. And like, go way harder than I do. It's just a personal interest and I like collecting them when I find them. So yeah. No, I get it. I mean, if I've been at the bins and I come across one and I happen to get it and you know, that said group doesn't, I, it's a win for me. I'm always super excited Yeah, because, yeah. you know, similar to you, it's just like, I enjoy vintage clothing as well, whether to collect it, not, you know, just for my own collection or, or to learn more about it and then resell it, you know, it's still fun. Yeah. 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 And I like to keep them too. The butter soft ones I like to keep because I mean, you just can't beat that worn in feel. You can't, you can't, it would take like so many years to get it to be like as washed down and like well worn Mm -hmm. as it is when you just find it when it's like already in that condition. So it's just, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I agree (laughs) with you. Okay. So fast forwarding kind of in your business, you know, I kind of left off asking you about vintage, which kind of took us on a little bit of a tangent there. You know, you went full-time reselling in, and I appreciate you indulging me in those questions about vintage. I could ask you a 4 billion more, I'm sure. But, you know, in 2019 is when you became a full-time reseller. At that time, I have to imagine you were not just selling on vintage. I'm curious, you know, what platforms did you start selling on and expand out to? Yeah, uh, I started selling. I mean, at that point, I wasn't on Vinted anymore. I was just on Poshmark, and I don't think I don't think I was on Depop yet. I can't actually remember. I may have had an account, but not actually really selling anything on there. But it, I'm trying to remember. Actually, I'm pretty sure it was just Poshmark. It might have also been Depop, though. I don't know. But I very quickly started an Etsy and. Yeah, that was a, like that was like a year later. So 2020, I started really focusing on vintage, and that's when I did the Etsy shop and the Depop account. Has to be because I was just really on Poshmark to start, and it took me a while to get on eBay. Like I needed convincing because it was a little intimidating <laughs> and like scary. Yeah. The idea of like having to ship things right. that were first class. I was like, what do you mean I have to weigh this? Like, no, <laughs> <laughs> like, too much. Right. But yeah, I also had to deal with that with Etsy. So Etsy felt a little bit easier because the U like the user experience of Etsy feels just a little bit easier, but I don't know. It took me a while to get onto eBay, but eventually I got there and I love it. It's eBay's great. <laughs> um but um yeah, I think uh different things sell on different platforms. So it's that's why it was like I knew it was important to be a multi-platform seller. I mean, for me anyway, with vintage, some things can take a while to sell and you just have to get them in front of lots of people. When you were starting in 2019 to where your store is at now, and we'll kind of get into where your store is at now, but how did it evolve? I mean, did it start off with modern pieces and then I guess to now, you know, what are you selling in your store? You know, is it a mix of modern and vintage? And then I Mm. guess maybe you can tell us that'll probably lead into where your business is at today, you know, as a, you know, full-time, part-time reseller. 
Yeah. So when I first started, it was, like I said, just Poshmark eventually figuring out other platforms. In 2020, we all experienced the same pandemic. Uh, So I, with Vintage specifically, had to take a little bit of a pivot. Uh, I was trying to learn about, you know, the best, I was trying to figure out my pricing. I was trying to figure out what vintage I wanted to be sourcing. So on Poshmark, I've always sold modern things, but I slowly kind of started adding in more of the vintage stuff. In 2020, when I couldn't source things in the same way, uh, that became a bit of a challenge, especially with sourcing vintage. But later in the year, when things started opening up in Philly, um, I started doing flea markets. And that was um, that was also a learning curve for me because I'd never done an in-person shopping experience before. But once I'd done one, I just started going at it really hard. So as soon as I could sign up for another flea market, I did. Um, I did it. It was it was like the winter time. So it was, I want to say it was October of 2020, something like that. I mean, it was like I had already been selling things online, but but once I added in the market part of things, I it was like the winter season when things are really just like slowing down. Market season mm-hmm. is really like spring to the fall. So, you know, the following spring I signed up for more and the, you know, the, all of the years after that, I've just been, I've just added on more and more markets to the point where last year I was doing like multiple markets a month. It was just like almost every weekend from in the summer to like October, it was really nuts for me. Um, also very exhausting, but yeah, Mm -hmm. markets being like, it could be a two day market where I'm set up overnight. It could have been just like a one day market where I'm bringing all my stuff, a tent, like multiple racks of things and selling things in person. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to have kind of different systems in place for that, right? Cause you're using square and Venmo and maybe PayPal and you're just cash also. So like, it's just a different kind of selling. Um, you mm-hmm. also have to merchandise and have all of the stuff to do that. I also at, in the, the same year, 2020, I started my website. So I was, I've been selling on Shopify for a couple of years now and it all feels like just yesterday, but it's weird to think that that was like, you know, that was a few years ago. Um, but yeah, I, in, in the process of doing these markets, I met, um, I met shop owners and other people who have shops and I'd done a couple of like month long pop-ups, right? So like at a boutique locally in Philly, I did a month long pop-up at the store where I bring things to them and I have stuff on consignment. Right. And then at the end of the month, I pick up what hasn't sold and I get a portion of the sales. And so I, I was at a market in in New York. I'm in Philadelphia. I don't think I mentioned this earlier, but I'm in Philadelphia. So I drove up to New York for a market one summer. This was, I don't know, 2021, I think. And I met a store owner. She has a zero waste store in Queens. And um, she saw my stuff and she was like, this is all very in line with kind of what I would like to have at the store. Um, You know, like kind of like just kind of talking about being business owners and we were just chit-chatting really at first, but then she reached out a few weeks later saying she was expanding the store and she wanted to invite me to be in the store. So I've had a permanent rack at Earth and Me in Queens, Astoria, Queens for the the entirety of the store being open. So that's, that was 2021. She opened in September. Um, 
and and Kaylee and I thought it was going well and she invited me to have a second rack so now I have two racks in the store right now and then I have a also a semi-permanent rack at a store here in Philly and D'Lo it's a candle shop and I've done other pop-ups since then and and kind of throughout but I found that selling things in person and doing markets is really great for vintage. Uh, who knew, right? <laughs> but I didn't, that's not how I got into it. So I just, it wasn't, it wasn't an obvious next step. I actually, it was a little scary to do markets. I was a little nervous about how prepared I would be. It was, it was nerve wracking at first, but once I got the hang of it, like once I tried it once, I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> like I can do yeah. this. And I just kind of kept doing it. So I do, um, I do still sell on Poshmark and all of the platforms and I still have my website. I still sell through Instagram on uh, my lean low account, but a large part of what I'm doing with vintage is selling in person now. Got it. And, you know, here we are in 2023. Are you, I guess the million dollar question is, are you still selling full-time reselling full-time? Oh, wow. Totally skipped over that. (laughs) Oh no, it's okay. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, I, um, yeah, so I I had been full time for just just under four years, and then as I mentioned last year, I was really I was selling as much as I could sell at markets, and it it was it was hard and exhausting, and to be able to, I mean, to give maybe some context on like what this involves. I mean, I don't know if it's obvious or not, but it's like you have to pack your car every weekend. You have to unpack your car every weekend. You have to like set it all up when you get there. You're making sure everything has price tags and you're, you're making sure your signage is good. You have things, you have like shopping bags for people. Like it's more of a process as well as the fact that you're physically setting up, you know, a 10 by 10 tent or, you know, you're loading and unloading your car. It's just a little bit, it can be physically exhausting. And then Mm -hmm. being there the whole day and all of that. And as I've just been thinking about kind of like what I wanted my life to look like over the next, you know, few years, I, I know that I could continue selling full time, but I think in some ways I got a little bit comfortable and I wasn't always thinking about ways to grow the business. I was just working in the business because I was just kind of like in my day-to-day routine and not always thinking about what I could be doing differently. And so, uh, yeah, so in October, I kind of made this shift. I made a conscious shift of like, you know, I, if I, in a few years, want to have a house or I want to be able to like take paid time off, like I'm either going to have to like grow a team or have a store maybe, or like just in thinking about my options. And I wasn't sure that that was something I wanted to commit to. Um, mm-hmm. So the other thing that I I've haven't mentioned, but I'd been doing for a little bit on the side was social media. I was from the beginning, I'd been uh, kind of growing my, my personal Instagram account or reselling account. And I learned a little bit about social media that way and growing now a second account and then later helping um, as a social media manager for other small businesses. Um, I realized it was a thing that I really enjoyed doing and I wanted to continue kind of exploring. Um, and so I started applying to marketing jobs in October of this last year. Mm-hmm. I, the month of October, I made it my full-time job to apply to jobs. I applied to 300 jobs. I'm not joking. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just like, you know what, if I'm going to commit to this, like 
Yeah. As you can, I don't know if, if anything about me has said that I, I go hard for the things I'm interested in, but yeah, <laughs> I just, um, when I, when I have an idea or have something I want to commit to, I just go all in. So, um, I applied to 300 jobs and I was like, you know what? I'm going to get a job. And so I need to make it a, a numbers game. And so I applied to all these places. I got some good interview experience and I got some offers and I, I got a job. <laughs> so now I have a full-time marketing job. It's a hybrid role, which I was kind of looking forward to like working with people at a, in a team again, which it has been an adjustment. It's, it, I started the job in January. I'm managing digital content for um, the U.S. and Canada for a brand that's based in Sweden. And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited for all of the things that I'm going to be working on, like having bigger budgets and the time and space to be able to explore and learn new marketing things. I'm doing a lot of, and we're, we're discussing sort of like influencer management and social media management. Like those are the kinds of things that I'm working on in my role that I had already been doing for my own business. And it was very validating to hear another just to hear other people say like, wow, you have really unique experience. Like, this is interesting. We'd like to hire you. That alone was very, it was very affirming for me because being a small business owner, not having a bachelor's degree, like I had a little bit of imposter syndrome in applying to these jobs to begin with, but it, it has been, it's been, it's been an adjustment, but it's also been very reaffirming to me that like I have skills and I have been working on things. And even though like, you know, I'm at a place, I was at a place in my business where I, I wasn't sure what the next step would be. Like, I'm kind of glad that in this weird roundabout way, I got to where I am. So now I'm reselling part-time. Uh, I'm definitely listing a lot less online. All the while, I've had a, a virtual assistant who's been um, helping me with my online listings, but I'm just sending her a lot less work. And I'm still at the shops. So I'm still selling in the background. I'm still putting things out there for people to buy, but, um, I have like, I have paid time off now, which was Mm -hmm. not something I had before, which I've been indulging in a little bit, like being able to like (laughs) make the decision to clock out at a certain time, like to be able to turn off from work has been something that I haven't had the luxury of doing over the last few years. Cause I just, I mean, as any full-time or any business owner at all knows, it's just, it's always running in the back of your head. Like you're always thinking I can do more. I can do this. I could do this other thing. Like, so yeah, I'm, it's been, it's been bittersweet. I don't love not owning my every single day, but at the same time, I really appreciate some of the other things that this job has been able to offer. So I'm, I'm excited about that. It is an exciting change. It's just a change. So of course, with all changes, there are growing pains. So yeah, it's been, um, it's been, it's been a, you know, it's been a a fun few months. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I know firsthand how exhausting it can be to manage all the tasks in my reselling business, like listing, bookkeeping, and more. But I found a solution that has given me back my time and allowed me to grow my business hiring a virtual assistant. And now I want to share that solution with you. That's why I've created an online course called Hiring a Virtual Assistant for Your Reselling Business. With this course, you'll learn everything you need to know to find, train, and manage a virtual assistant like a pro. 
And because I want to make this course accessible to everyone, I'm offering a special coupon code, flip the script that gives you $10 off at checkout. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your reselling business to the next level. Sign up now at hiringava.com and let's enjoy the freedom and fun of growing our businesses together. Again, you can sign up at hiringava.com. So now that you're not relying on reselling as your full-time income, how has that changed your approach to your reselling business? Yeah, I think that it's given me a lot of it's given me a lot of space to think about how I would want to do something without the financial pressure of selling a certain kind of thing, especially with the vintage. I think it's really easy to just because I I have mentioned a million times it's just it feels like such a limited resource that when I find things I found myself at least before kind of like picking things up more out of feeling like I need to have inventory and like maybe it's not a hundred percent aligned with my style or the aesthetic I'm going for and I would be picking things up just just to have stuff just to have inventory and ending up with lots of excess you know and then in a couple of months when it's still sitting I'm like why did I buy all those things granted sometimes you know you go to estate sales you build a big pile they give you a better deal for getting more so the cost maybe isn't so high, but then when you're sitting on all this debt inventory it, and then in a few months, you're just like not happy with what you're looking at. For me, it just, that kind of is not, that just wasn't the direction I wanted to continue going in. But now that I have sort of the space from to think about, you know, I'm like, if I, you know, don't pick up something today at the, when at the sale or at the store it's not the end of the world, you know, because I don't absolutely desperately need inventory. I don't have to be selling at such a high volume because I don't have the capacity to sell at that volume anymore. And it's also not really the, the, the vision I see for the sort of business goals I have in mind. So I'm really shifting from being a volume seller who's doing things very fast paced, maybe doing things at a, a lower average sale price to more of the of a quality like I don't know I I don't want to say that I'm raising my prices so much but there is sort of an increase in 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 pricing that's kind of coming into mind I'm not picking up as much if I don't think I can sell it for a certain price point and I have sort of slowed down in that sense but it's also given me the space to think about how I maybe want to explore things creatively right like I when I'm when I was reselling full-time Mm-hmm. I had ideas about maybe doing like a photo shoot or like, oh, I could maybe collab or or think about like uh, something I was selling at the physical store locations or at markets was upcycled silk scrunchies with like dead stock fabric. You know, that's not, it's not a novel idea, but it was like, it was something I wanted to continue exploring, learning to sew. And I have made clothes for myself and I've made these scrunchies, but when I was just trying to like, focus on, you know, picking stuff up, photographing it, listing it, and then prepping for the markets and doing all of the other things that's involved in the day-to-day of running a business full-time. I didn't really have as much time for the creative endeavors. And now I can make space for it because I'm not relying on reselling 100%. So that's kind of the, the shift for me now. I'm also trying to embrace like 
not being, I don't know how controversial this is. But I'm like, I'm like, I don't know that I want a girl boss. I want to like girl rest, you know, like I want to, I want a girl nap, girl sleep, girl read, girl cook something. I don't know. You know, like, I love that. I'm just, girl nap, I just yes. want to like, yeah, like I'm trying to get myself to not go so hard all the time. Something that I really, I found myself like I'd be, it'd be Saturday night and I'd maybe came back from market and I'd be exhausted and I'm just like eating takeout with my boyfriend, watching a movie. And then as soon as the takeout's over, I'm like pulling from my, my pile of vintage to see what I can stain treat or what I can mend. Like I'm always doing something and yeah. I needed to do something with my hands all the time or like, I'm going to just check to see what offers are, are being, you know, countered on Poshmark or I'm going to go see, you know, what my VA sent. Like I was constantly checked in and plugged in and maybe that's my own personal problem, right? Like it may not be something that everyone's doing. I don't know. But I just found that like I did not have an off switch and that really contributed to how heavy I was feeling emotionally and how much I felt like I was struggling to just kind of keep up with myself because I wasn't giving myself the space to do literally anything else. So now that I have, I'm trying to just shift the mindset of like, okay, if I'm just working a full-time job, like what would I do? Like what, what is, what does life look like in your free time now that you have free time, right? Like what would, how do you want to do that? And I still want to run this business in my free time, right? I still want to do things for the business, but I'm also exploring what does it look like to help other people with social media? So I'm, <laughs> I know I'm still very busy, but I'm just spending my free time differently now is kind of my, my bottom line. That's kind of a long way of saying that, but yeah, I do social media management on the side as well. I'm running the business, but it's just at a different scale. I'm not doing markets every single weekend. I'm just kind of like slowly acquiring quality pieces that I'm really, really excited about and happy about and putting them forward. And yeah, it's just kind of been a shift. Yeah. I think it's an interesting concept. What you mentioned, at least it triggered something for me is that, you know, you said you would go to the markets, come home, you know, eat dinner. And then all of a sudden your brain was just like back on in work mode and trying to, you know, address the things that you could while you were at home in the evening. And, you know, what's interesting is that I've interviewed resellers who have left, you know, full-time nine to five jobs and go into reselling. And I've talked about the transition period that you go through in, in learning how to be a self-employed person in learning mm -hmm. how to motivate yourself in this new job. And what's interesting is that I guess there's this transition that happens when you go back to, you know, the traditional workforce in that yeah. you have to turn off this self-employed brain where you actually do yeah. get to relax in your evenings and, you know, pursue yeah. creative interests that maybe you didn't have time for as a self-employed person, it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, one of the, this is a bizarre maybe complaint, but like one of the things after, I mean, I just got to 90 days, so I'm still early in this sort of like new job. Right. But mm -hmm. um, 
one of the things that I would come home, even in like the first couple of weeks, I'm like, I'm like, I don't understand how this is, this is an eight hour day. Like, <laughs> like everyone <laughs> works so slowly and everyone's mm-hmm. so calm and like, <laughs> like very, very, it's very relaxed. I don't <laughs> take a lot of yeah. chatting and, and, uh, and people stop to take lunch and (laughs) like a real lunch yeah like like it's a like it's a solid hour where you're not sitting at your desk and you know I had my own habits and routines before but it was all very blended it was like everything kind of melded in together and I guess a lot of the the personal pressure I put on myself and I think as a self-employed person, you're just constantly, because it's always on in your head and there's not really, especially because I work at my home. I was, I was working from home in, in the second bedroom of our apartment. So it wasn't like I was leaving the house to go to maybe an office space to do my reselling work. I was always in the house. So there really wasn't a separation of like personal time and professional time Mm -hmm. um, outside of going to markets or going sourcing. So I guess part of the shift comes from like, oh, when you go to work and you work in marketing, like there's like it's you work in marketing, like it's there's nothing that's so urgent that it's a 911 mm-hmm. that requires that sense of like constantly need, needing to be on, at least at my particular company, like it's not so high stress. The stress that I was feeling before was self-imposed because I was running the ship and if I didn't work, I didn't get paid. And, you know, it's, it's all of that. So it's, mm-hmm. um, I imagine that in, if you're not happy with your work or if, you know, if, if you're working a corporate job or any kind of other nine to five and you come home and you get to do your reselling stuff and you're really excited about it, like it seems really, really appealing to go full time and do your reselling stuff, but then reselling can also become a job and, can become stressful in its own way. And it's not just reselling. Like it could be literally any job that you have could become that same kind of like could become something that's really stressful and like anxiety inducing. I mean, not to say that that's a hundred percent what happened to me. It's just that like, I do think that there was a transition into, you know, becoming a disciplined self motivated kind of working from home, self-employed person um, mm-hmm. And now this, there's this transition off from like, you know, just running my own ship. Like now I have to transition into working with people and working right. on a team to get projects done, which is just a different, it's just a different thing. I don't know. It's been interesting to, to kind of experience this. I did not expect it. I, I just, I don't think I really, I don't know what my expectations were. I guess I just didn't expect it to be this. There's lots of meetings and, you know, it's just, that's very specific to what I'm doing, but that's kind of um, a meme by itself, right? Like all the meetings that could have been emails, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. It's the trade-off. It's it's the trade-off, right, Michelle? It's like, okay, well, you got to have these meetings, but you also get to clock out at five. Exactly. Like I get to come home and I'm like, now I get to decide like, okay, I'm going to cook. I mean, granted, I'm, my day is still very full. I feel like, you know, I'm working my, my day job, which is exciting and new right now. So I'm, it's all, I mean, I really don't have any negatives outside of like understanding how to slow down. Like that shouldn't really be a complaint, but it's just, it's just an adjustment in my way of working. But now I come home, I maybe, you know, update my sales 
and then I'll work on some social media stuff or I'll like prep some items like for tagging or, you know, other vintage things. And I can decide when I want to stop doing that or if I want to keep continuing into the night. But now I get to go to bed, read a book, like mm-hmm. kind of feel a sense, uh, a different sense of balance that I don't know that I had before it. But the difficult part is just not owning my own time. That's that's been the hardest. I think the the hardest part of getting a nine to five again has been not having ownership over every aspect of my day. Mm-hmm. Even though that when I first started, the difficult thing was having every having too much ownership over every aspect of my day. So the thing that was too hard before became this like, you know, became a positive and now it's kind of reversed. So yeah, I've realized like in working with people, I'm like, yeah, I do like people. I am an extrovert. I just think I wish, I wish I had the choice to go in or not come in. You know, I wish it was like, I just wish I had more flexibility, but I mean, all things considered, things are going well. Like i very minimal complaints here. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, yeah. it, in this transition, I'm wondering, you know, did this change, you know, your workspace or your office situation for your reselling business? I, I'm going to guess maybe not too much because it's, you know, you're yeah. still operating a reselling business. So I, I have to guess that you haven't really made too many changes. So what does this look like for you now? You know, do you work out of, you you mentioned a storage unit and then an office space in your apartment or somewhere you work at least. Yeah. From the time that I started the reselling business, we've always, my boyfriend and I live together with my dog, Leo. The shop is called Lee and Low, and it's like Leo and Lorelai, my dog and my niece. They're like my two little babies. So (laughs) anyway, that's just a little fun fact. And so anyway, it's the three of us in this apartment. And when we started, we lived in North Jersey and um, we were in a two bedroom up there as well. I had much less inventory, but we used to share the second bedroom where it was like he had an office. uh, Sorry, he had a desk in the office and so did I with like a couple of tiny cubes of inventory. And then I had a couple of like pieces of inventory in my closet as well. But like inventory size was very minimal. When we moved into this apartment, I took over the second bedroom and I kept my inventory in the house. But then through, you know, COVID and everything shutting down, I was doing a lot of curbside pickups. And that was when I got a storage unit. So this isn't, I'm going to answer your question. This is just a roundabout way of getting there. (laughs) (laughs) So I got the storage unit during COVID because I had all these curbside pickups and I'm on the third floor walking up three flights in a narrow like Philly row home to the third floor with like trash bags full of people's stuff felt not great. And also it very, very quickly started to become like an actual dumpster fire in in my, in my apartment. So that was when I got a 10 by 10 storage unit, eventually getting to a 10 by 20, which I'm at now. And um, the 10 by 20 fills is, is full of all my inventory. And before I went part-time now, I kind of liquidated a bunch of my unlisted uh, vintage stuff to other resellers in the area locally. And I donated some things that I could. Um, But for the most part, all my inventory has been out of the house for, you know, for a few years now. 
but I did downsize a bit just to give myself more space in there. And because I knew I wasn't with, with my limited sort of like time now, I knew I was not going to get to it. And I was like, you know what, if I can sell this stuff wholesale to people locally, vintage sellers locally, then I don't mind. I know what I paid for most things and maybe I'm losing money. Maybe I'm still making money regardless. Like this deserves to be in someone else's hands. And I sold some really crazy things um, for like (laughs) sweet deals. But, um, but yeah, that was kind of what I did beforehand in preparation for this. I also kind of limited myself to sourcing. So like right now I do have, this is actually a terrible example because (laughs) I did go out to some sales last weekend and I absolutely packed my trunk full of stuff. So like my, I have an SUV and like the whole car is full of inventory right now. (laughs) But aside from that, I don't really have too much of a backlog of things that need to get photographed or processed through. I kind of tried to manage that before I started so that I just didn't have a bunch of like inventory sitting dead and waiting to be listed. But now that I have all this stock, I'm like, okay, well, this is going to go to the stores, uh, which means I don't necessarily have to photograph it. And then there are a few pieces that I will photograph and list online. And that's kept in the second bedroom here, my, my little office space. I have like five items or so on the rack, very minimal in the office. Now my boyfriend might tell you that it's not super minimal. I mean, it, <laughs> it is full of my stuff, but it's minimal to me. So yeah, <laughs> that is what counts. Um, yeah. Um, no, that's, so the office that's itself nice. is still technically like my office it's the second bedroom in our apartment but it's it's much cleaner than it was before so you know it perspective I think right it, yeah <laughs> it's all about perspective in his perspective you know he might have other comments but it's fine it's this is my right. room so. <laughs> exactly yeah no it, that's nice I mean I'm jealous you say you have a, a small rack of items yeah that's Sounds wonderful. <laughs> Sounds like a nice, yeah, I healthy, mean, balanced version of reselling. I hope so. I don't know. It gets a little chaotic when I'm like preparing for a restock at one of the stores because I bring everything in to get tagged. So I have all of these like paper tags that say, you know, lean low on them and I write out what it is with the price and everything. And when I have to do that, it gets really chaotic in here because I'm, this is like, you know, I'm pulling like a couple hundred items to like, you know, bring up to the store and I drive it up there myself. So yeah, it's, and that's about, uh, the, the store is in Queens. So I'm driving up like two hours so that I can drop this stuff off. Um, so Mm -hmm. whenever I have to do a restock, which is like twice a month, it does, it tends to be a little bit of chaos, but I'm managing it well. So far, so good. Check in with me in like six months. <laughs> you know, if it's still, right. if it's still very calm, cool, and collected in here. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it sounds like you're kind of, you know, like you said, you're kind of in this early stage of transitioning back into this different dynamic of working. But, I mean, it sounds like you, you've got it worked out. I don't know, pretty well. I mean, it looks like it's kind of moving in the right direction, which kind of leads me into my next question, which would be, and you know, we've kind of touched on some challenges already. I'm curious, you know, are there other challenges that you feel like 
you face in your business right now, you know, whether it be, I don't know, regarding coming across inventory or just finding the time in your life or what have you? Yeah. Other challenges. I think the main challenge right now is probably time management and Mm -hmm. also just personally feeling like like a little bit of FOMO of like, I know that I can get better stuff when I go to sales that happen during the week, but Mm -hmm. I can't go during the week anymore. So, you know, a few of the, like the places I used to get inventory from, like if people would check in and be like, Hey, can you come and pick this stuff up on like Wednesday? I'm like, no, I can't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So like, you know, it's feeling like, Oh, well, if I, if I'm unavailable to do this, like, I'm you know, I'm going to be missing out on the best stuff. Um, and I may not be able to find stuff next time, but I think that that feeling is always going to be there of just like, you know, just FOMO of like what the fear of missing out on the things that I could have gotten or like what, what amazing things could I, could I have found had I had the time and the, you know, the freedom to be able to go do that. But I think that's something that's kind of always there um, in the background. And that's just like a personal thing for me, but Mm -hmm. time management is kind of like my main challenge right now of just making sure that I'm like appropriately scheduling my life Mm -hmm. because I haven't in, in a lot of ways I am. Yeah. I'm reprioritizing. I'm shifting things around so that I can do a full-time sort of like nine to five job, but I haven't really, said no to anything just yet, right? Like, I mean, I've maybe turned down some markets, which would be weekends, but I'm filling my markets, uh, I'm sorry, I'm filling my weekends with other things now because mm-hmm. I'm, I've pushed all the things that I would have been doing during the week to the evenings and weekends. So I'm just, I'm, that's kind of like my main, my main challenge. Like yeah. this morning I woke up, I walked my dog, I started doing, um, some social media work, um, like planning out content for someone. I have a meeting on Monday with, with like a potential future client. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to need to make sure that I have myself prepared for that. And, you know, and like kind of thinking about how I structure my day, not spending too much time on any one thing so that I can get enough in so that when the week starts, I don't feel like, I need to rush through or I feel overwhelmed or anything like that. So yeah, that's kind of the, that's kind of the challenge right now. Yeah. We'll we'll see how it it goes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it just sounds like you're having to allot your time in different ways. Like you said, you don't have, you know, all the things that you maybe would have accomplished during the weekdays. And there's a lot of stuff that, you know, when you're reselling full time that throughout a Monday, for instance, right? There might be a lot of business related stuff in there, but then there might also be a trip to the grocery store and then also picking up, you know, I don't know, your pet from the groomer or, or different little personal things that you likely wouldn't be able to accomplish when you're working, you know, out of the home in an office for someone else. Right. And so those things that, that grooming appointment, that dog grooming appointment that you could do on a weekday suddenly becomes a Saturday or Sunday event. And, Mm -hmm. but now that's in addition to all the other things that 
maybe you wouldn't have been able to accomplish during the week. So yeah, I get that. That's yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it, this is an interesting perspective on just, yeah, that the transition back into, you know, uh, having like another time work. I, I don't, yeah. Think, yeah. It's not necessarily because it's, I know that it's like, it's weird to say that the transition back into full-time work, like I was working full-time, but it's just um, right. the transition back into a nine to five yes. for someone else, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Whatever the phrasing would be. I don't know. I I think um, there's, it's, I mean, it, it is, it's just a transition just like anything else. And mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, in, I saw one of those, one of these TikToks that was like, I was born with the, how hard could it be gene? Like mm-hmm. something like that. And right. <laughs> I feel like in a lot of ways that like resonated because I'm like, yeah, I'll just, I'll just do that. Yeah. I'll just, I'll say yes to that other thing. Yeah. I'll just like <laughs> put more on my plate. Like it's no right. problem. Yes. Um, and I'm very, in a lot of ways, I'm very go with the flow. So the hard thing when becoming self-employed was being disciplined enough to like really structure out my day. And I've enjoyed like, the process of learning to do that. I've enjoyed that so much, but now that I'm at a place where, you know, I, I need to make a shift again. It's, it is a little bit of like, you know, it's kind of like shaking all of what feels comfortable. So yeah, it, it, it was also like the personal challenge of like just getting my friends and family on board to the idea that I was going to be like reselling stuff on Poshmark by itself. Like that was, a challenge. I've told this story before, but like there was a, my mom one time she was saying, she was telling a friend, like in front of me, we're all just kind of like chit-chatting, having lunch. She used to invite me to things because uh, she's a teacher. So she used to be like, oh, can you come read to the kids? Or, oh, can mm-hmm. you, um, can you do ABC XYZ with me on this day? And I'm like, mom, I'm working because I'd be <laughs> self-employed. And I'm, I'm like, mom, I'm working. I'm not available. Um, <laughs> but one day I went with her and she kind of was like, oh yeah, um, she's, Michelle's doing, you know, this, she's selling stuff, but, um, when do you think you'll get a job? And I was like, mom, I have a job. Like, Mm -hmm. like she, it took her so long to get used to the idea of like business ownership that Mm -hmm. it, it ended up becoming a point of pride. But now that I'm like transitioning back into, into a nine to five, it's like, oh, well, what are you going to do about the business? And that's, that's become mm. the new question. It's like, oh, what are you going to do with your business? Are you quitting? Like, did you fail? Like, what's going mm. on? Like, there's all these new questions that come with going back into mm-hmm. the workforce in the traditional sense. So that's also been maybe one of the the challenges, feeling like I have to explain. But I just know that, like, you know, I'm making the decisions for me that feel right for me and my life and what I want to do. And the fun thing about this now and the thing that I keep saying is like, if I hate it, I can just go back. (laughs) It's true. Um, Which is true about if you, if you quit your nine to five and you want to start a business, like if you hate it or if it's not working, you can just go back to a nine to five and vice versa. Like if you have a business and you get a job of any other kind and then you don't like it or it's not working out, like you can just go back to doing that other thing. Yeah. So realizing that like no decision that I make has to be permanent and that mm-hmm. and giving my, myself the space to be able to explore what life looks like and all of the ways that I want to try it. Like that's been very, it's been, uh, I guess, liberating or it's been very freeing and, and knowing that like I can try new things and like I might fall on my face 
I'm, it might be also great though. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. so that's been fun. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that is the nice part about reselling. It's like one, once you learn and understand how to operate it as a full-time business, I feel like it's this amazing thing you always can have to fall back on. I don't know. It's an amazing skill, but I mean, you know, not everybody yeah. wants to learn or do this job and that's great. <laughs> we don't need too many people, but, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's just this always this thing that you will always know how to make money, which is not a skill everybody has. And it's kind of awesome yeah. to have. It's like a little superpower. It is. I mean, I think it's also, it's kind of a confidence builder in that, like, when you kind of like, when you take a bet on yourself in any way and, mm-hmm. you know, you realize that like everything, you know, the world didn't implode just because you left your nine to five, like the, the in the traditional sense, like when you decide, yeah, I'm going to start this business and it kind of works out, like it, you, it makes you feel like you can make, you can do anything and you can try anything. And mm-hmm. if it doesn't work out, like, you know, like cool. Like I tried it and at least, you know, so for me anyway, I mean, it's definitely made me feel, I've learned a lot of new skills in, in having and owning this business. And it's not for everyone. Like Mm -hmm. I've seen, I'm sure as you have like so many people come and go in the reseller community. And I feel most people are not necessarily relying on reselling as their absolute main source of income. Mm -hmm. There, a lot of people are just trying to make a car payment or just trying to pay down some debt or, you know, just trying to like empty out their closet. So being able to like give yourself the space to try new things and realizing like it's not for everyone and it doesn't have to be, that's Mm -hmm. also really cool too. So yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in, in general, what I, what I gather from you, Michelle, is you're a pretty ambitious person. (laughs) You're a pretty ambitious person. (laughs) And you know, I guess it makes me wonder at this point, you know, where do you see the future of your business or businesses going? Yeah, I, wow. I'm also just realizing I have said, yeah, like 95 times, one of my <laughs> worst vocal, vocal fillers. So take a shot it's every time right. I say, yeah, re-listen to this mess, this, this, uh, this episode and take a shot every time I say yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, where do I see the business going? I I think with reselling, it's always going to be there for me. It's just, it's like, I just love buying and selling things. <laughs> I love finding cool vintage stuff and sharing that with people. Uh, I love the community I found uh, as a result of that. So I think it'll always be there in some form. Uh, What does it look like in the near future? Right now, I think it's just keeping it as a small good thing, a small e-com shop, living online with, you know, in in this kind of smaller space. I don't expect it to grow into a brick and mortar store of my own, but that Mm -hmm. idea also sounds kind of cool. So maybe <laughs> I'll, I'll never say no <laughs> unless, yeah. unless I decide that it's actually an awful idea. I don't know. It seems expensive, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I would like to see it grow maybe into some other stores and the same sort of um, consignment kind of arrangement that I've got going on now. 
feel like that would be nice, but I like where I'm at. I just think I want to, um, I want to push myself a little bit more creatively and see what, what that looks like in terms of social media and marketing and what that could mean. I think exploring the sort of space where it's most people don't love. I don't want to say most people cause I don't really know, but a lot of people find reels and video to be really challenging. And that's actually something I find super exciting. And especially with AI tools and content creation and tools like that. And I, so I'm really, I'm interested in exploring that space and seeing, you know, what could come of it, um, mm-hmm. which is really a, a large reason why I took this job. Yeah. I think in the, in the near future, it's going to be a lot more of exploration and, and, and uh, I don't want to end this with, yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> I think that keeping Lee and Low small and then maybe exploring some more marketing, social media, content creation, whether it's, I don't know. I don't know if it would be having a course or just sharing more stuff online about Mm -hmm. that or working with clients. I don't know. It could be a few different things. It's something that I'm sort of thinking about now, but I just, with whatever decisions I make, I want to try to be intentional and I don't want to do things because I feel like the pressure of doing a thing. I want to just do something because it feels right. And it's because of the, because it's, going in the direction that I see my life going in. I have a lot of like personal financial goals. Like I'm trying to get myself out of debt and I want to buy a house. So like I'm trying to build the future by making the right choices for me. And like, I I just hope it all happens and I know it will, but just in time. So I don't know, it could look like a lot of things. It's a long answer. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the future, right? That's it's uncertain. And and I think that you know, you've done a really great thing in that you've diversified your business in a lot of interesting ways. It, your business doesn't rely solely you know, when we think about just online, you could say, well, it doesn't rely on one platform, but for you it's it it's not just that, right? It exists offline. I mean, it's not just the um, the markets, it's not just, uh, having your items in a store. You've also got the social media aspect of your business. And now you're working a full-time job during the week. You've got this other paycheck. So you've got a lot of things going on. And so I think that that's really exciting. And it kind of allows you to, I, I guess, flex any one of them or lean more into any one of them at any time you want, which is really cool. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm excited for what this could look like. I do think that at some point I'm going to have to start, I'm going to have to start saying no to things to be able to like right. really figure out, you know, what I want to spend most of my time on. But right now having my, you know, a toe dipped in, all of the little pools <laughs> of <laughs> possibility, so to speak, <laughs> is, yeah. um, is kind of where I am. It's a little bit of, um, I don't want to call it business purgatory, but that was the, that was the analogy that was about to come up. And um, <laughs> it's just kind of like a transitional period. You know, it's just kind of a, I'm, I'm thinking about all of the different ways that I can do a thing and trying to figure out what feels good. So 
Yeah, no, that's smart. I mean, you've got options, which is great. I think that's, you know, and you'll say no when, when it, things don't feel right. So I think you're on the right track, <laughs> but I, I guess my so. last Thanks. question, <laughs> I guess my last question for you, Michelle is, you know, looking back on this journey uh, into reselling and then transitioning out of full-time reselling and yeah, I, you know, I guess if you were to look back at any point, what advice would you have given yourself when you were first starting out or even midway through your journey? That's hard because I think if I would have given myself, like if a future me dropped down mm-hmm. in front of an earlier me and was like, you need to do ABC, XYZ right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would have listened. <laughs> 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 I'm like, whenever I hear that kind of a question, I'm like, if I would have given myself earlier advice, I'm so stubborn. Like, I just need to like, I'm the kid that needs to get burned by the flame to figure it mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I definitely learned from experience. But I do think one of the things that I would have always benefited from, and I probably can still benefit from now is just um, earlier on digging into the data, and then also being more open to help and outsourcing. Um, I went for way too long without a virtual assistant. And if I would have gotten help sooner, if I would have maybe hired a photographer sooner or, or, you Mm -hmm. know, gotten an extra set of hands, I think it would have done wonders, but I didn't. So like, I can see now how that would have helped me. And I can see now how, you know, having my VA sooner would have been so great, but Mm -hmm at a certain point, I was like, well, I'm actually going to be shifting out of this. So, you know, getting, getting a second set of hands at, at home maybe isn't great or going and getting a, a physical office space, you know, maybe could have helped me, but I wish I would have taken those risks a little bit sooner at the time they felt like risks because of mm-hmm. the cost. Right. But like, right. and also it's, it's hard to do hard things like digging into the data, like was the first thing that I mentioned, but just building out a spreadsheet to be able to track my sales and understanding some of the like financials and the the actual business stuff. We go into reselling because sure, we like making money, but also we really just like sourcing and we really like, I don't know, maybe listing even, I don't know. They're, they're, but I think mostly people go into reselling because they think like there are other things outside of like being inside of a spreadsheet. That's fun. I'm one of those people so it was, there was a lot of growing pains and a lot of hesitation in like actually trying to figure out how to build out the spreadsheet. And I wish I would have done that sooner. So maybe that's one of like the very early steps that I wish I would have advised myself on because mm-hmm. I got myself into a bit of a pickle by like the end of the year at tax time when I'm like, oh, this is actually broken in a mess. And I don't like what? <laughs> what amount did I make this year? That's, this is crazy. Why didn't I do this like six months ago? So yeah, that's something maybe like very early advice, but I do at any point in my sort of journey, I wish, I always wish I would have maybe tried taking, taking some of those risks a little bit sooner in, in that like hiring help and um, maybe expanding into a, a space outside of the home, separating my inventory from my apartment. I was hesitant even to get a storage unit because I was like, oh, I'm going to have to drive there. What if I, what if I can't, what if I miss a day and I can't ship next day or same day? It's going to be so annoying. And 
it, that's like one of the biggest, best decisions I ever made was moving my inventory out of the home. Like, yeah. So yeah, I think, um, yeah, I wish I would have tried. I just, I wish I would have, I would have tried some of those new things a little bit sooner, but you know, you live and you learn and eventually I got a VA and eventually I got the storage unit and yeah, it's, those are some of the the top two things that, that come to mind. Yeah. And I think that, you know, like you mentioned, a lot of people get into reselling because they like making money, which just sounds like a funny statement to say, but it, it's true. They like making money. They like sourcing, whatever it might be. Um, but then there's going to be other parts of the business that they're not thinking about that are not their strengths, right? We all have different strengths and weaknesses. And certainly there are resellers that exist out there. And I've spoken with a number of them. I feel like they're more of the minority, but, but I, it should really be more of the majority, which is that they do really enjoy digging into the numbers or the spreadsheets and that part of their business, which is great because it's so important and it's so crucial, but it is something that a lot of people have to learn. And some people, Unfortunately, you know, maybe a lot of people learn the hard way, which is at tax time, right? Where they're all of a sudden realize like, oh, I should have been setting aside money throughout the year because now I'm going to have to, Mm -hmm. you know, pay back some money. But I mean, it is just part of the business. It is part of surviving self-employment and you get a little incrementally, incrementally better as you move along. And 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 same with, like you said, um, getting help in your business and moving the business outside of your home. Those are really, it's funny to think about them now as big and scary decisions, but at the time they're really big and scary decisions because you've created this small thriving business. It is a little nerve wracking to think about throwing a wrench into it and you're not sure what's going to yeah. happen. Yeah. It's the kind of fear of the unknown. Maybe I'm not, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I see the other thing I I realized too, is that in mentioning like hiring help, like for me, hiring help, what, you know, or getting, uh, digging into the, the like not so fun parts involved the spreadsheets and the data. And for someone who that's really exciting to like, maybe, I don't know, maybe content creation or social media isn't fun, but like Mm -hmm. hiring a social media manager would be the most helpful thing for them. Right. Right. Like, Mm -hmm finding someone else who excels where you are, you have a blind spot or maybe is like one of your weaknesses. I think that is what really helps to push and sort of grow a business and also gives you the like mental and emotional capacity to manage all of the things that come with running a business. I think it's just not, it's not easy to make those choices in the moment. Like they feel like really big and scary decisions. And they, I mean, they are, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like it feels like, especially when you're hiring a person, like, wow, this person's going to be relying on me to pay them. And how do I know I'm going to have the money to pay them? And right. uh, like, what if, what if I make zero sales? You know, like, what if I sell absolutely nothing and I've hired like an assistant and I have no work for her, I can't pay her. Like that's mm-hmm. scary. But yeah, I think, um, I don't know. I think sometimes you just kind of have to, it comes back to like just taking the leap and knowing that you're going to catch yourself. Cause you know, you always do. That's right. just like, it's life Jump, just jumping into it and seeing, you know, like you've, you've built a, this sort of small business, like you're going to be able to take on this 
next small risk. If you need the help, like you probably already can fund the expenditure. Right. So it's just about trying. So, um, yeah, yeah, I agree I, with I, you. I, mean, I, I hope that's, does that, does that make sense to you? I don't know if that's something that is helpful to people yeah. listening, but yeah, no, I think, I think it is. I think that's great advice. I mean, I, what I was just thinking in my head when you said that is just right. You've gotten this far trust yourself to go further, right? Why would you stop mm-hmm. trusting yourself at this point on, on these big decisions? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, no, that's great advice. I wish, you know, it's at the end of every episode, when I ask this question, I, I feel like I just need to, it, it should be like a coffee table book. I should take everyone, everyone's <laughs> answers and put in a reseller coffee table book, or maybe it's like a, a, a one on one Oh one. When you start reselling, read over this first. <laughs> because you know so what? You can make responses. that into like an Amazon ebook or like a, you can right. turn that into something. I feel like this is not me trying to monetize <laughs> <laughs> the book. <laughs> I'm like, you can actually turn this into something. Let's publish it. I know, right? I know. Like the wheel, see, this is the reseller in us or the whatever it is. I don't know what you want to call it, but it just never shuts off. It's always going. No. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe I can monetize that. Let's do it. I know. I know. Right. Maybe I can make money off this one question that I always ask. I love it. Well, okay. Now I know my plan for the rest of the day. I'll start uh, mapping this out. So thanks, Michelle. (laughs) Thanks for that. (laughs) More work. Well, thank you, Michelle. This really, truly has been such a great conversation. I've had such a great time getting to know you and learn about your business. And it's just been so interesting to hear about your re-entry into, you know, the traditional workforce and how you've been managing that. And, you know, it's just an interesting adjustment that people don't often think about. And um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's not good. It's not bad. It's just different. And you're kind of going through it right now. And I'm excited to continue to see you flourish in it. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I mean, it's just been really nice to get to talk to someone I've sort of like admired and looked up to in the reseller community. And I think what you've done with the podcast is really cool. And I'm, I'm really enjoyed talking to you. So thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. My pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Well, I will talk with you soon, my friend. All right. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Michelle for being on this week's episode of the podcast. Again, you can find Michelle on Instagram under the username Mish Market, and all of that information will be in the show notes of this episode for you. I'm currently coming down from a sugar high. We celebrated my son's birthday this weekend, and I may have indulged in a late night piece of cake before recording this outro. This past week, I've been trying to get back into my groove at work, all while trying to plan our family party this weekend. And it just made me think I'm so grateful that this job allows me to stop and plan and think about his party throughout the week, all while at the same time, working my business. I hope your week has been going well. Sales have been a little funky on eBay this past week. Has anyone else noticed this glitch that's been happening? You click on a listing and it just doesn't appear or says it's ended. 
I'm hoping this gets resolved soon. I have to imagine that this could be negatively impacting our sales in some way. But until next week, keep on listing and keep on selling.